The fragile male ego is exhausting. Whether you're a serial killer or not, because yeah. we got two of them at least here with the fragile yeah. egos. I I, it's exhausting. <laughs> I'm over it. Hi, Julie Bezabali. Hi, Patrick Hines. Bam! Look, I'm going to say it until it's over. Come see us at Obsessed Fest. Yes, please. 2,200 of your friends are coming, fam. This is a community event. It's all about making new friends. If you're coming alone, tell them to come alone. Come alone because you're not really coming alone because no. everyone is going to make friends with you. And we're doing a lot of other events for solo travelers. Exactly. So you can all meet each other. And also, everyone's really nice, so it doesn't matter. We see it all across the country. Every time we do a live show, people come by themselves and they leave with 30 brand new best friends. Yes, that's absolutely true. So come to Obsessed Fest, ObsessedFest.com get your tickets. Join us on the Patreon. Over yes. 350 full ad-free bonus episodes. Yeah. To download a bitch right this second. We're talking Worst Roommate Ever, yes. that Gacy thing on Peacock, Murder Among the Mormons, The Vow, Heaven's Gate, yeah. Don't F with Cats, The Tiger Jinx, King, Lorena. Staircase. Staircase, Serial Season 1. It's every stuff. single thing that's ever been done on like Netflix, Hulu, yeah. HBO Max, all the streaming services. It's there. Yeah, and I have to tell you what we're doing now and what's coming up. I know. I'm just saying. I know. Oh, Love Fraud? Oh, Love Fraud. Fraud. The next thing we're doing is Bad Vegan. We're doing Bad Vegan. I'm just going to tell you now. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Two last things. Join the Facebook group and follow us on TikTok because we are creating crazy content on the TikTok. On the TikTok. It's true crime obsessed pod <laughs> on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, girl, tell the people what we're talking about today. Uh, I know. Green River Killer, Mind of a Monster. Now, this is one of those documentaries where we have to hear from the piece of shit. So yes. I would like to make a request that we avoid hearing from the piece of shit as much as possible. And also, I want to call him the killer. I don't want to use his name. Wonderful. Yeah. Let's say, we'll say it. Yes, we'll say it one time. And then all through the rest of my notes, I called him the killer. Wonderful. Yeah. The other thing I want to say, ID, well done. ID does a really good job with these documentaries. I feel like in this documentary, we meet a lot of terribly friends gradually egoed men. I mean, but we particular. meet we meet so many amazing badass women. So many it's like this, women. This documentary is stacked with women who are amazing. I knew nothing about this case at yeah. all. I'm going to go home and wash my brain. I know. I'm going to get in the shower and put all the water in my ears to wash my brain. Ooh, it's like yeah. it's another hot, we're like, oh, BTK, what a piece of shit. Real hot take from Jillian and Patrick. Here we are again. We don't like this guy. I don't think I'll ever forget the confessions and the horror of what he told us. It was such an extraordinary thing to have this insight into somebody who is just so incredibly evil. The devil's in my head, the, the, the rage. I had control, and that's what it all comes down to, is control of those bitches. He's the most violent, dark-sided individual I've ever interviewed. I just loved killing women, maybe. I didn't have no morals. Conscience didn't stop me. I want to be the best serial killer out there. It was just a killing spree, going for the count. I won 100 this year. So his name is Gary Leon Ridgway. He hated women, particularly sex workers. Yes. So he went out of his way to kill sex workers, and we hate him. Yes. And the first young woman that we learn about, we learn that he picked her up on Pacific Highway. That's like a road. Her name is Wendy Cofield, and yes. she is his first victim. And Patsy, her sister, is here. Yeah. Patsy is giving us kind of the backstory that when Patsy and Wendy's parents got divorced, Wendy was 13, and the separation was really hard on Wendy. And Wendy went to live with the mom, and Patsy stayed with the dad. Wendy was at the age where, naturally, as a child, you are fighting your boundaries, trying to find out where you stand in the world, and mom couldn't handle what was going on. And Wendy was put into state care. 
I guess they were fighting so much that the mother puts her in foster what care. The fuck? I know. Go live with the dad. Yeah, or like just like rock that not a mother life, you know? Exactly. Like I don't want to be a mom, but I also wouldn't like <laughs> throw my kid into the fault. Fo- like no. you know what I mean? Yes. If you have a kid, you gotta be nice to the I kid. I just imagine if you accidentally became a mom, it'd be 18 years of like, we're gonna do our best to get through this. Let's yeah. all be on our best behavior. Yeah, and like I'm not leaving you. <laughs> no. Like we're in this together. Exactly. You're probably not too thrilled with me either, kiddo. <laughs> So we're in this boat together. Let's just oh, hold hands and get through it. That would be a great movie. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> I'd be like that mom. I would still look exactly the same. Totally, totally. It'd be like Christian Ritter as you. It'd be perfect. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let's make it. So Patsy says that Wendy used to always say this heartbreaking thing. Wendy always said she, she'd never live past 18. I think she was trying to cram everything into however long she thought she had. And unfortunately, there are plenty of men in this world who will take advantage of a child on the street. So we learn that Wendy ends up on the street and she disappeared when she was 16 years old. Now, let me just say this one time. We are told over and over again that he hates women, that he kills women. This is a child. child. Many of these people are children. They are not women. I don't like to use the word girl when I'm talking about people like you. Sure. Because you're a woman. But this is a girl. This is a child. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Don't be fooled that he was killing all women. He was killing a lot of children. Right. And also having sex with children. Yes. Like he's a pedophile too. He's a nightmare. Yeah. Also, I might get a lot of shit for this, but guess what? I'm saying it. It's been one hell of a week. Yeah. Um, I, depending on the context, I don't mind girl. Okay, great. It depends fine. on what it is. If, if someone's like, move over, girl, I'd be like, what the fuck? No. But if you were just like, you know, yeah. I don't know. But I don't think people usually mean to be dismissive yeah. or whatever, but like, no one's going to call me a boy. Like, no. you know what I mean? You got to be careful with your words. Exactly. She's a 16 year old teenager. You know, and she's a teenage it's girl. It's fine if you like it. It's not okay for me to assume. I don't mind it in certain contexts. Yeah. Now I've made it way more complicated. <laughs> it needs to be. Let's move on. So Patsy tells us that the last time she saw Wendy was when Wendy came out to visit her and her dad. Right. And they woke up, they'd been hanging out, and Wendy was like, I'm gonna get on the road and head home. And Patsy's like, well, why don't you just wait till dad gets home and he'll take you to the bus station. Right. And she's like, nope, I'm gonna go now. Right. So it's July 15th, 1982. Yeah, and these two guys end up finding Wendy's body when they're fishing. We were looking over the bridge, and there was an old dock There was a post, and we saw something that was pushed up against the post in the current. And the first thing that caught our eye was brand new white tennis shoes. They're on a bridge, and essentially they see something in the water, and they don't know what it is. And then they do the least Patrick Hines thing that anyone would ever do. Hey, there's a weird, creepy thing in the water. Let me wade into the water and figure out what it is. Well, they were also fishing, which is not something you would do. (laughs) What is fishing? So you just, you you would never be there. I call fishing ordering sushi. (laughs) It really is the freshest kind of fish. And it's already cleaned and everything. Oh, my God. I I, I never even considered where it could come from before that. You know, it looks different in the water. (laughs) But they wade into the water, and, like, as Galen is about to get underneath this, like, sack, his friend is like, whoa, 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 like, there's human hair there. Yeah. And And they realize it's a body. And he says this thing where he's like, to this day, I don't like seeing human hair underwater. Yeah. Like, if he's swimming in a pool or something, Uh and, like, there's a woman with long hair, he just, like, it creeps him out, and of course it does. So, remember that we're not going to play a lot of the killer's interview, but we get some of it here, and he basically explains how he picked up this 16-year-old sex worker 
who's Wendy. Right. And he describes in graphic detail how he killed her. Yeah. The thing about these documentaries is that, yes, great job, ID. Yes. We need to know about these victims. We need to know about these women who help solve the case. But, like, I don't want to hear from him no, so much. No, I agree. But the one thing that he says is that he, like, after he kills her, he, like, just pushes her body into yeah. a river. He's not even trying to not get caught. Yes. Like, it's so sloppy. Everything he does is so fucking sloppy. Because he's not even trying. Because he's also, like, he did what he wanted to do. He's not even caring about right. anything else anymore. Yeah. Like, the horrible thing was his focus. Totally. Ugh. Well, pull over and let the women do the work because Detective Faye Brooks is here. I love Detective I Faye love Brooks. Her too. And she really, like, she's here to give us a lot of really hard information. I'm it's just going to say it, you yep. know? And she she is also here with, like, facts yes. and badassery. And pictures. Like, all of the pictures of the victims are laid out in front of her. Yeah. So we learned that Wendy was found almost naked. She yeah. was strangled with her jeans. Yeah. And it's clear that Wendy fought for her life. Yeah. I mean, she had a broken arm, and Sister Patsy is back to say she hopes that Wendy, like, fought for her life. Like, Wendy was a fighter. Yeah. And Detective Faye's like, hey, Patsy, guess what? She 1,000 presented. Exactly. So by August 15th, 1982, four more women are pulled from the same river, the Green River. Yeah. And Detective Faye is like, it was unbelievable that we had five murders at one time five unsolved murders at one time i know that's crazy in the same location in the same location not the same city but the yeah. actual like the same river that is wild right so their names are debbie bonner marcia chapman cynthia hines opal mills and wendy so now we meet investigative journalist thomas he works yes. at the seattle times and he is here to tell us everyone was in a panic yes wondering are we safe what's going on and there's a rush to get this guy seattle was terrified because faye is saying like it looks very much like it was a serial killer and i'm like yes Faye. Right. Five dead women in one area in a month. Yes, we're dealing with a serial and, killer girl. Again, I just have to stress it. It's one river. Exactly. It's not like one town. It's a very specific place. Yeah. That's why they call him the Green River Killer. As we're going into commercial here, we meet all these women that are interviewing him and they're like, I believe in this. I believe in like when you find a bad person, make them tell their story. Yes. That's a li- it's a line from the Laramie Project. I was going to say, yes. Yeah. Barbara Pitts, who was a co- who was in the Laramie Project and was a co-creator of it, is a listener of the podcast. Hi, Barbara. No way. Hi, yeah, Barbara. Yeah, yeah. She DM'd me the other day. Whoa. I believe that we have a lot to learn from yeah. these cases, but like we see him telling these women how he just like loved killing women yeah. and he just needed to do it. And I'm just like, how do you sit there and listen to that? And I'm saying they're great at their job. That's how they do it. Well, that, yeah. So like one of those women is Patty Eeks. Yes. She's a prosecuting attorney and she's one of the people who interviewed this guy back in 2003. Yes. So long after the murders, after he had exactly. lots of time to sit and think about what he did. Yeah. And like we get this whole thing where she's like, as we were interviewing Ridgeway, one of the things that we tried to do was try to understand a little bit of his background because we thought that perhaps it would help us understand why he had become a serial killer. We needed to understand his background. And I was like, I know we have to do this, but I hate he it. He was an angry kid. He struggled in school. This yeah. created rage in him. Exactly. Boo-hoo. And I'm just like, I don't want his backstory. I know it's important. I know it's germane to the story, but I don't want it. But what's important here, I think, is that, quote, everyone in the neighborhood knew he had a history of abusing animals. Perfect. Right. That's what I said. Perfect. I was like, if you know, like, and I'm not blaming the neighborhood kids, but if you know somebody's doing that, can't you tell a grown up and make him stop? Right. Like Bruce, yeah, right. the next door neighbor. I mean, well, Bruce is that guy who tells every single person he meets that he lived next door to the Green River Killer. Which is exactly what where he lived. And yeah, so right. he says, Bruce, you're right on that one. Just thank you. So he says... When I was growing up, living next door to the Ridgeway family, I felt like I had a front row seat to what went on over there because my bedroom window faced their house. I never stepped foot in that house. 
and I didn't want to. There's evil right next door. I had a front row seat of what was going on over there, to which I say, and no one did a thing. Nope. And also him saying I had a front row seat is a line he's workshopped. Oh, yeah. You know, that's where he landed. That's how he describes it at a barbecue. He's got to give his two-minute elevator pitch. Right. Or, so, or someone said, some reporter was like, it sounds like you had a front row seat. And, <laughs> right. and he's like, uh, I'm using that forever in perpetuity. It's mine now. Bye. I'm not paying you any royalties. Also, the killer uses the R word. Fuck off. We don't oh, do that. I know. We I, don't do that. I know. Because what we learn about him is that he had learning disabilities growing up. Yeah. They say that he was like teased and picked on and called stupid Same. and that that would be right like, yeah, that, like that would be enough to turn somebody into a serial killer but then suddenly he's sobbing about it he's sobbing about how sad his childhood was and I was like so many people in this documentary are going to call him a sociopath or a psychopath right. who didn't have any feelings or emotions and I'm like no he does right he does he's, like, he's just, just a murderer, murderer. yeah <laughs> like, because the other thing about this is that he had brothers and his brothers were smart and athletic and handsome and we learned that the killer was not any no. of those things exactly and so because of that he had this like inferior complex and he wanted to overpower people and he tells this truly horrifying story no please pull over for this and I mean it I'm not even gonna do a bit about it just like do not well, operate heavy machinery during this episode please God probably should have said that closer yeah, to the top yeah, yeah, of the yeah, app. Yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. about that but he tells this horrible story about stabbing a six-year-old like he was 14 or 15 yeah. and he was trying to like just like inflict pain and he, he say he was like yeah I hope he died and I was like hey Gary hard same about you hard you killer same. that's what I feel about you. I hope you're but dead. But also, like, some adult needed to know that, like, I don't know. I just feel like there are a lot of red flags when you look back that you feel like some grown-up should have seen. Maybe you know one of I mean? his brothers, right. like, who probably hated him because yes. he wasn't as, like, cute and athletic, which is fine. But, like, there's no one. He had a big enough family I that there was. cute or athletic if you come to a live show. I show all of my pictures <laughs> from my high school years. You're adorable. Stop <laughs> talking about my friend Patrick you that way. You can see how not cute or athletic I was. Untrue. I was a lot of fun, though. You were very cute. I can't <laughs> give you athletic. <laughs> Because I don't lie to you. I don't lie to my friends. I can never yeah, give yeah, you yeah. athletic. I wasn't athletic. Cute, I'll give you any Thank day of the week. so much spunky. I'll go with spunky. I'll give you cute. I'll give you handsome. Thank I'll you, give you so much. Athletic, you're never going to get from me. I'm no. sorry. <laughs> and that's why you love me, my honesty. It's true. I my love you for your honesty. honesty. <laughs> so the next victim we learn about is a girl named Giselle Lavorn. Giselle Lavorn was from California, and she'd run away sometimes, you know, uh, just being a teenager. One day, she told folks that she was going to go turn a trick or two or three and be back soon, and she never came back. Someone says she'd run away sometimes, you know, like a teenager. No, no, no. no. Don't perpetuate that. No. Don't ever, <laughs> ever, when someone says my 16-year-old no, ran away, the response shouldn't be, ah, they do that. Exactly. That's a great age, 17. Right? They're always running away. I don't care if true, false, or not. Just don't perpetuate that. There Stop are, it. There are times I'm going to bed that I look at the at our front door to our apartment that I'm like, it's going to be uncomfortable to sleep in that spot for the four years that Daisy's in high school. Right. <laughs> That's a real hard ground over there. I if I can get a mattress. Daisy? It is around the corner. Let me speak directly to my daughter. Okay. Daisy, you can have all the freedom you want as long as you earn it. As long as you don't lie to me, you do reasonably well in school. That's totally fair. You, you fill me in, you answer my questions, you can have all the freedom you want, girl. You will have a reasonable curfew. Of course. And you will meet that curfew. Yeah. And when I call you, you will answer. When I text you, you will text back. And if you do it, I won't be annoying about it. That's it. Right. If you have an open dialogue, I, I agree yes. with you 100%. Yes. I'm not allowed to have an opinion. I'm not a parent, but I was a kid. Also, with parents. you were 14 and your parents were sending you to bars. So enough. But I called them all. They knew where I was. I they knew the parents of the friends I was John, sleeping. I wasn't. They like, knew the bartender. It was knew, fine. It was Johnny. It was fine. It was a good guy. No, his name wasn't Johnny. I don't remember his name. Because it was so long ago, not because I was drunk. You just proved my points left and right. 
Uh, but the, what we learn about the death of Giselle is that he had these places he would take his victims that were like near airports, like in the woods. It's awful, but it's true. And he would take them and kill them while the airplane was flying overhead. To like drown out the sound. To drown out the sound. He's a monster. And so Detective Faye says, look. We had six women murdered, all strangled, and all either close to or in the same general area. At the same time, we have a growing number of missing people. She's like, oh, God, these are just six bodies that we found. There's all these women that are missing. She, Faye is connecting the dots. Right. So it's October 1982. The FBI is involved. Hey, yeah, Paul. the FBI is called to create a profile. And guess what? It's not helpful. No, because <laughs> FBI profiling was like just sort of becoming yeah. a thing in the recent years. And they're like, is this anything? Is this a shot? They're just throwing everything at the wall, seeing what sticks. <laughs> the things they come up with, though, they're like probably a white male, probably mid-30s, might live with his mother. Yeah, detect- maybe a loner. <laughs> Detective Sue Peters is like super generic, just your run-of-the-mill <laughs> mediocre white guy. There's there, the, there are a dime is. a dozen. Those are the most terrifying ones. Right. But th- what they do say is also, this person will probably try to oh involve themselves in the case by giving information. Enter Melvin 30 Foster. 30 seconds later, Faye's phone is ringing off the hook because we got Melvin Foster, a 43-year-old taxi driver who's calling into the cop. I feel like in the movie it would go like this. Yeah. Faye is reading the thing from the FBI being like, he's going to try to insert himself in the and case there, as the phone zoom- and as like it's like you just see the text of like person like suspect will try to involve himself yeah, in exactly. this investigation. Her, bring, bring. her rotary phone is just ringing off the hook. Sue, it's for you. Charlie, we got a cab driver says he knows them all. Oh yeah, hello. Right, and it's like this guy Melvin is like saying that he's a cab driver that knew all of the victims and he wants to be helpful. And he is just an exceptionally weird dude, and everyone says so, but he's on the news. Oh my God, I was I thought of you as soon as I saw this. And the reporter says, <laughs> and I, I quote, Did you kill all those women or what? Did you kill those women or what? That's a direct quote. That was that reporter is a member of the Pennsylvania family. Now I'm going to do my best impression of Melvin. Okay, great. No, but I wish I did. I wish I did know who did, because uh, I put a stop to him. Um, no, but I wish I did. Nope, take two. I I wish I know I did know who did. Yes, yes. I just what what, uh, what I'm saying is take three. Uh, I just wish I knew you know. who was doing this so I, I could stop them. Yeah, that's it. Use that's that take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we live? I know. We're live? Okay. I know. And then it cuts to Faye, Detective Faye, and she's just like, he was a weird guy. He's a weird ass guy. Weird. So guy. She says it twice. Of course, when he's uh, when he's like, I wish I did. Nope. Let me. I'll take that again right from the top. <laughs> nope. They put him on 24 hour surveillance I, for right. three months. Yeah. Yes. In that time, four more women go missing. So he wasn't the guy, but man, what a creep. Yeah. I don't I like, say, I'm sorry, Melvin. I don't like you. you know, Maybe keep, I'm sorry. Keep the surveillance team on him. I feel like if he didn't kill these people, but who knows what Melvin did do? I don't, or yeah, or maybe he's just a weird, lonely guy. Like, Melvin, don't make this about you. But at the same time, maybe he actually did know them and like really was just trying to help. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe it's not, possible not that he was telling the truth. Not everyone's good on camera, okay? <laughs> it's, yes. That was a very Freudian slip. Also, we're by Slater Kinney Road. I'm like, oh, hey, Riot Girl. Slater oh, Kinney. fun. Yeah. But wait, now we're going to a town called Wasteland. Well, that can't be right. Well, it is right. <laughs> I, know, we I saw a, it on the same screen. We go to a place called Wasteland. It's eight Ugh. miles north of Seattle. I said, Wasteland? Wait. Who buys a house in Wasteland? I don't and know. And you know they, they pronounce, no, it's called Wasteland. Yeah, it's Wasteland. It's Wasteland. It's Wasteland, actually. <laughs> It's Wasland. I, I, I actually, it's I actually grew up in East Wasland. <laughs> totally different. Oh, West Wasland. 
blonde? So, okay. <laughs> so this is where they find the body of Linda Rule. And what was different about her was that the killer had set her hair on fire. And this is where we find out that, like, the killer is, like, fucking with the bodies after death. Yeah, they use the word interfering. I like my word better. Thank you so much. <laughs> I just wanted to give Detective Faye credit. She totally. says interfering. <laughs> this is a very hard episode. And she tries to soften it a little. It's and I'm true. like, Detective Faye. And she was there? Like, oh, my God. I know, I know. So Wendy Caulfield's arm had been broken. Uh, the two women that were found weighted down in the river um, had rocks inserted in their vagina. And then the seventh victim um, was discovered with her hair burned. What he was doing was he wanted to make them ugly or like do something that could take away their beauty or yes. take away their power or take away their womanhood or take away something. Yeah. Because taking their lives wasn't enough. Right. So he had to like destroy them even more. Yeah. Moving on, we learned that from March to April 1983, six more women are reported missing. And then 10 months after Wendy, our first victim, yeah. 18-year-old Marie Malvar is reported missing also. Yeah. And this story is bananas. Yeah. We learned that the last person to see her alive was her boyfriend. And he saw her getting into a pickup truck. Now, Marie was doing sex work. I don't know if the boyfriend knew or not, but he's not happy that she's getting in this truck because he follows them. And like, and so obviously it's the killer that picks her up. The killer doesn't know he's being followed, but still somehow manages to lose the boyfriend. Right. And so after he loses the boyfriend, the boyfriend and Marie's dad. Excuse me. You're leaving out the most important detail. What? Well, the, the dad shows up at the boyfriend's house with a gun. Oh, because of course the like the <laughs> first suspect is the boyfriend. Exactly. I don't believe it. I'm not a gun person, but we'll see what happens when Daisy is of dating age. That's you. <laughs> Steve, how do I work this thing? <laughs> Patrick, you blew another hole in the window. Yeah, but is she okay? Right. <laughs> the dad shows up at the boyfriend's house with a gun and says, and I quote, you were the last person to see her. We're driving around until we find her. Right. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, are. Because yes. I saw her get into this truck. So now they're looking to find the truck. They find the truck. Yeah, this is so enraging. This had like Jeffrey Dahmer flashbacks because yes. they find the truck and like they call the cops. The cops go to the killer's house. Marie is in there tied She's to the bed. In there. She's and in he the comes house. out, talks to the cop. Gary knew the officer that came to the door. They had gone to school together. Gary convinced him that he was an involved or didn't pick up Miss Melbar. They took his information and that was the end of that. And the cop just goes away. Yeah, he convinces his old school chum that yes. everything is all good. Nothing to it's see here. It's the fucking white men's club. I know. It's it's mediocre white dudes just really and stick together. If the cop had just done his fucking job and been like, can I just look around real quick? This woman's life would have been saved and the lives of all the other women that die after her. Even if they had the conversation in the kitchen? Yeah, No, totally. You know, even if they were like, can you step aside, yep. killer? Can we just like take a look around for two seconds? Even if you're saying, I know it's fine. Yeah. It's protocol. Yeah. It's just something I have to do. Someone, maybe the partner would have been like, uh, something is amiss. You know what? The cop can't believe that a man who looks like him would do something like of that. Of course. You know That's what I mean? What it, of course. So now a little bit more about the killer. Well, more specifically his mother. Yes. Because that trains Yeah, because right. I, I have the big note. Oh, great. We're at the point in the documentary where we blame the mother. Right. Let's, let's blame the mother's time. Well, yeah, because what we're talking about is that the killer always wanted his mother's approval. Yes. But she was more of a sex object than a mother. And this is where we get into some of his real sickness because he talks about like how he would fantasize about having sex with his mother, mm -hmm. but he also 
also wanted to kill her and do things to her body that would like erase her beauty. Yeah, he wanted to ruin her beauty is what he said. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's awful. So now we learn that the killer and his two brothers all served in the military and the yeah. killer joins the Navy at 19. And for some reason, his brother saw it as a fun way to get out from under their parents' watchful eyes. And right. I'm like, during Vietnam? I know. Yeah. How bad was that house? Exactly, because we meet Stuart who served in the military. <laughs> Stuart. 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 Me and your wife, who I'm assuming is named Cheryl, have some words for you. Because Stuart is here to say that, like, yes, me and the killer were in the military together during Vietnam. He says, Gary and I would not see action in Vietnam, but the bars in the Philippines were definitely, there's a lot of action in there. But the bars in the Philippines, there was a lot more action in there. First of all, I had to Google that. I was like, who is serving in Vietnam and not seeing action? Right, So I Googled it and... He's pretty accurate. Okay. <laughs> it's the one thing that Stuart gets right. Because at first I was like, that's impossible. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. that, it just seems impossible, but it's not possible. Right. Anyway, so there would be a lot of action at the bars, Stuart right. says. <laughs> now, Stuart was very scared of all the diseases of the sex workers. Right. These are Stuart's it, it, words. For anybody who, like, for, for Steve's mom who's listening and might not be getting the euphemisms, the action in the bars are the sex workers. Hi, Judy. Thank Hi. you for making your house much cooler during oh, this hey, live Judy. visit. Th- yeah. Thank she you. really did it. They nailed it. The house was freezing cold. I'm it so was great. Per- it was a oh. paradise for me. When you need a hoodie yeah. in August, that's I the know. best. <laughs> so he's like laughing and he's like, oh, the killer and all these guys were very excited to personally find out about the, you know, sexually transmitted diseases. And I'm like, this actually isn't funny, Stuart, no. because these women were exploited. So of I don't course. like your tone. Exactly. I don't like this at all. So the cop asks the killer, what'd you get, syphilis? <laughs> and the killer's like, no, 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 gonorrhea uh, yeah. and chlamydia. Yeah, yeah, actually. yeah. Yeah. Now cut to Stuart, who says, honestly, who didn't catch something? <laughs> Except me, of course. <laughs> and he looks right into yeah. Carol Cheryl's yeah. eyes through the camera. <laughs> you hear that, sweetheart? Not me. Not I me. saw nothing. I was sipping my water. Yeah, exactly. And I did nothing of the sort. No. I don't know what you're talking about. He's an about. example. But we learned, too, that the killer was married at this time to a woman named Claudia. And, like, soon after the killer getting home from the Philippines, Claudia divorces him in January 1972. I said, Claudia, girl, wherever you are right now, I hope you are living your best elderly life. And Good for you. Yeah, she is. Yeah, totally. I, I have to imagine <laughs> Anything she is. would be, can you imagine? Anything's better than that. I have a feeling she is because she I don't think she has any idea yeah. about this guy anymore oh god uh, you know like wouldn't that be great if she just he's never just a knew bad old boyfriend uh huh totally fuck him <laughs> so here's what happens the killer now hates sex workers because he made a decision to right. have sex with one and now he's mad about it so now he's gonna hate and kill women because of his own goddamn choices because that's what he said to the interviewer that day none of this is real none no. of this makes any sense he is a very sick man who hates women and hates himself and like that's the end of it right that's, you know? yeah that's really it yeah however we have about we're about halfway through I know <laughs> so Gary gets <laughs> stay tuned next week the killer gets divorced in 1972 and yeah. he marries Marsha Winslow the next year they're together for seven years they have a son named Matthew now I'm gonna pause here okay good because then I got something to say about this because they blur Matthew's entire face in the school photo and at that point don't even show the photo or say his name my thing is like they blur his face but they say his, that guy is so googleable I found him in four seconds did you based on the information I had from this documentary oh I did don't blur the kid's face and then let the killer say his fucking name. But we are also being told Often what we hear about serial killers is that they tend to be loners or they tend to be people who don't have long-term relationships. Ridgeway was the anomaly that way. 
the killer is an anomaly because he was married to this woman, Marsha, for seven years. But so is Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer. Well, I didn't say it. They said it. Why are you mad at me? I'm not mad at anybody. Okay. I'm mad at the killer. So much. Um, but anyway, Marsha dumps his ass in 1981. Yeah. She gets rid of him. She divorces him. She takes the kid. And now, of course, the killer hates her because right. he says, I wanted her to be my mother and she didn't like that. <laughs> Men, listen up. I kind of want you to be my mother. Don't do okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. We're not your goddamn no. mothers. No, 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 no. Stop it. It's true. Stop it. And if you want someone to be your mother, that's your shit and they're not going to, you have a mother. It's true. The, the point is he wanted her to like cook and clean and when she wouldn't do that, he would choke her. Yeah, or do like only that. Like exactly. of course this guy had these impossible standards for her to meet and all yeah. these expectations. It wasn't like, oh, she like made a mess and then didn't clean. You know what I mean? It's of not, course, it's of course. It's these impossible standards. And I no, love, I'm on the killer side. Right, can you imagine? <laughs> but I love how Marsha was like, dump your ass, no, I'm out of here. No, fuck that. But the thing that makes me crazy is that he still gets visitation with his son. Yes. Now, like, of course they don't know that he's a killer or is about to become a killer, but like he's a fucking awful, it just, the kids are all so vulnerable to me. It makes me so scared to know that she has the presence of mind to leave him because he's abusing her and right. choking her and like attempted murdering her. Right. And he still gets to like see his son. It yeah, I don't know crazy. how that works. Yeah. It shouldn't work that way. No. <laughs> but he's explaining that like he kills these young sex workers not just because he hates women. He also hates himself. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. And he's like, well, the more I kill, the less I hate myself. And I'm like, well, oh, God. And again, that's it. Like he does say like when I would kill somebody, my hatred for myself would go away that day. Whether that's true or not, it's just what he said that day. Right. You know what I mean? Stop trying to make it make sense. Like it's just like it, it like he's a sick fucking guy. Yeah. And the opposite should be true. You should right. be hating yourself for killing somebody. Exactly. Are you kidding me? So then we meet a guy named Jim. Jim Bailey. <laughs> Jim Bailey used to work with the killer. Jim Bailey worked with the killer at a place called Kenworth Truck Company or whatever. My first impression, nice guy. At work, Gary was probably my closest friend because we had such a connection. We went through training and I always looked up to him. When I started training, it was right after his divorce. But as far as I'm concerned, Gary was a happy guy. Laugh at your jokes if you told him. Hey, if you told the killer a joke, he'd probably laugh at him. I mean, everybody that we meet is like really looked up to the guy, really wanted to be I just mean, like him. And to which I say, Jim, have the presence of mind when the documentary crew shows up to your house to at least pretend that, but like something was off. Right. Say that. <laughs> it's so rare, but it does happen. Yeah. Like every once in a while, we get like a sister. Or a friend being like, and I'm telling you, I, I want it on the record. I never yeah, liked the guy. exactly. But that doesn't happen enough. No, and it's always like <laughs> the men that forget to say it. It's like, they, we're, you're yeah. here because this guy killed like a hundred people. Jim's like, Jim. he laughed at your jokes. If you were to tell one, <laughs> he was a great audience. Jim, Jim, you're focusing on the wrong details. Oh my God. So we'll come back to Jim later, but now we meet this woman, Sarah, and she's the daughter of a woman named Carol Christensen. And this is so heartbreaking. Right. Sarah's here to say... Her mom was a victim of the killer, but not in the traditional way. She wasn't a sex worker, but she describes her mom. My mom was a ray of sunshine. She had a beautiful smile, and she was very attractive. And he probably did see something in her. She lit up a room, essentially. Everybody loved her. Yeah, because what we hear is that the killer, this was like his one victim that he actually had feelings for. Exactly. And Sarah's here to say, uh, yeah, my mom was a 10 across the board. Exactly. So, of course, he had feelings for her. Yeah, and Sarah's saying that her parents had just gotten separated. The mom got a job at a bar to make ends meet. And this is where she meets the killer. And, like, the story is, like, they're dating. They go on three dates. He's, like, spending the night. And Sarah tells us one morning they're having sex and she was working a double fucking shift that day. Yeah. And needed him to hurry up and yeah. finish and he didn't like it and so he knew he had to kill her. His fragile ego just couldn't handle it. I mean, my 
God. I mean, like, hurry up. Like, hurry up. I got to go to work. <laughs> Who hasn't had that conversation once or twice? Yeah, I got... <laughs> no, like, uh, uh, yeah. uh, can we just, like. It's, you're looking yeah. at the clock? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We've all been there. So the killer is crying in these yeah. interviews. And wait, and he's, he's like, she just didn't have any time for me. And I'm like, sometime, make time for your goddamn self. Exactly. We're not your mother. No. My time isn't always your time. I no. need my time, like, Fuck off, exactly. killer. And we learn that her body is found on May 8th, 1983, and her body is staged in a really weird way. She's found uh, laying on the ground, hands crossed. She's got a sausage on her hand. Uh, there's a, f- a fish, a bottle of wine, and a paper bag over her head. And she's been strangled. That is nothing even close to how... Uh, previous seven victims had been discovered. And even Detective Faye is like, this was nothing even close to the other bodies we found. Right. And so basically what we learn is that there were some theories that maybe this was a little religious with the uh-huh. fish and the wine and I don't know where the sausage came in. But really what was happening is that he was just treating her like garbage. Like right. there were, those were other things he was throwing away. Yeah. And so he threw her away too because of these impossible expectations that sh- shouldn't have even been put on her. But also he's just seriously out of his mind. Yeah. It, I This is where I have the big note. Like, Cops, stop trying to make it make sense. Right. I, I'm glad you asked the question, but move on. Because they're feeding him. He doesn't say I'm treating her like trash. No. The cops are like, oh, you had other trash in your refrigerator? Were you treating her like right. trash in your... Like, it just it doesn't move. matter. It does, doesn't matter. Because then, because then after he'd kill them, he'd lay with them and fall asleep in their arms because that way he couldn't reject them, to which I say these fucking fragile men are exhausting. I mean, it's unbelievable. And like, they uh, don't really get into it in this, but like, he was having sex with them after they were dead too. Right. I don't know what happens to a person to make them do that. The way that so much of like shitty male actions is dictated by rejection. Uh, a million percent. Is yeah. terrifying. Yeah. So I'm just, our listeners don't do this, but in case you just like happen to be overhearing it, like some awesome person in your life is listening to this podcast and you happen to be walking by, never say like, why don't you just leave? Or like, uh-huh. why didn't you say no? When someone is being weird to you on the subway, yeah. why do you stay silent? Because this is why. Yes. Because any sense of rejection to the fucking fragile male ego can get you killed. I know. That's why. So Don't know. ask that. Not now that they're gone. Hi. <laughs> Hello again, lovely listener. We love you. Because you, you would never, ever, ever do that. So now, Carol, Sarah's mom, was his eighth victim, and yeah. 23 women are now missing. And Detective Faye is like, we gotta solve this. Yes. Like, we have to find the missing women. We have to get the piece of shit who did this. And she keeps finding bodies of these young sex workers, and she's like, Every day she walks into work and she she just goes, oh, not another one. Oh, no. Yeah. So by the end of October 1983, police have recovered 13 bodies and 25 women are still missing. And they said the Green River Killer was able to be so prolific because there were a lot of young ladies out there. There were so many young female sex workers. Yeah. 14, 15 years old. I mean, just like the circumstances that lead to a girl that young doing that. It makes me incredibly sad. Yeah. And because someone says like he was, you know, he was going to this hunting ground, like all the motels where the 15 year old sex workers were. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I know. Why aren't we trying to help them if we know where they are? Can we get the floodlights? Can we figure out some kind of help? Can we I get know. some like nice counsel- And the floodlights for the fucking pervert men, not for the young girls of that course. are doing this obviously like it's not their choice. And I know it's not that easy. I know it's a very like privileged thing to say like, well, can't someone just help them? I, I understand know. that. Of but course. to hear like, well, that's where they all were. Right. For you to know that's where they all were. It's just like, what? 
I got to do this better or differently or something. Like, we have to, to figure something out. Really, I, I appreciate that the documentary took the time to really hammer home. These girls were 14, 15, 16. Yeah. One of the narrators even says, like, junior high yeah. age. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And some of them were, you know, like Sarah's mom's age, but they were still young women. Yeah. And a lot of them were teenagers. Right. Again, they go back to him being so prolific. And the interviewer says to him, like, how are you so good at this? And I, this technique, I know they have to do. They have to compliment him to get him on their side. Yeah, talk to the so ego. He'll be, like, it's just so gross. But he's like, I just made myself look really normal. I would take my son's toys and a picture of my... He would show these, like, 15-year-old sex workers a picture of his, like, five-year-old son to gain their trust. Right. Of course. So we have two more victims coming up. So Mary Meehan, who's eight months pregnant, and Gary goes back and forth if he knew, if he didn't. The lady cops are like, she was eight months pregnant. Like, of course They're you like, knew. kill her. I, yes, you did. Yes, exactly. You can, don't lie about that with me. And then in 1983, the last body they find is 16-year-old Kimmy K. Pitzer. Yes. So obviously things are really bad. And finally, the, the Seattle Police Department forms a task force. The formation of the task force signaled that there was a very, very big problem. Oh my gosh, 55 officers, all these resources. They, they got to catch this guy. 55 officers are assigned, lots of resources, but everyone pull over because now it's time to meet Shalene Horton, who was the killer's across the street neighbor. Like where all the bodies, like she, and she moves next to the Green River yes. and across the street from the killer. So yeah. either, so this is so terrifying because the victims were often brought there. Yes. And, and killed in the house. And then discovered. So like on one side of her house. Yeah. It's where the horrible things were happening. And on the other side of her house, the bodies were being discovered. She was actually in the middle of it. And, like, to move into this neighborhood in the middle of, like, 50 women going missing and all these bodies showing up, it's crazy. And she says, she's like, once again, very basic. Nothing yeah. special. He totally <laughs> flew under the radar. Also, that house is still standing, even though he killed, like, 20 to 30 women in there. Shalina's standing in front of the house, and she's saying, like, if ever, she's standing in front of the house. This is not a these... historical site. Knock no, that shit down. I, burn it to burn the it ground. Down. What are we doing? I know, burn Seattle? it to the ground. Because it, what was, oh, in the worst roommate ever yes. on Patreon, where there's like a historic house where all these men were killed yeah. and they can't knock it down. You can knock this one down, Seattle. Knock it it's a down. shitty, ugly little house. And listener who lives in that house, if you live there now, I'm, I don't mean to insult, I'm not insulting you. No, they started packing right. 40 <laughs> minutes ago when this episode started. I mean, can you imagine watching this documentary and you're like, wait, that's our neighborhood. Wait, that... wait where is she walking? Wait, oh Shalene? Okay, right. <laughs> and you're watching it as Shalene's out mowing her lawn or watering her plants. You're and like, Shalene. There's like 20 to 30 women were murdered in that Horrible. fucking house. Who buys that house? Burn that house. But the statute of limitations of if you need to know about that oh is probably gone. But like, how is that not famous? I, I mean, everyone in, in the neighborhood town, would right? 100%. Burn it down. There are definitely people who like don't care. Like th that, that's a real thing. Well, that's a problem. That is a problem. I'm judging you a little. I, I agree. I'm sorry. I try not to judge anyone. But if you're just like, oh, only 30 women? Oh, I know. That's cool. I'm a, Where I'm do I sign? Absolutely. Nope. Absolutely not. So by the start of 1985, the investigation has been running for two and a half years. They said, the Green River Killer's gone. Flat out. The killings have stopped. So there's all sorts of theories that maybe the killer is in prison. Maybe the killer has died. We don't know. 
He stops, but not before telling us in this interview, he wanted to be the best serial killer in the world. He was doing it. He literally says, I was just going for the count. And in the meantime, he marries Judith Lynch. So he meets this woman, Judith, in this like parents without partners group, which I'm assuming is the 1980s equivalent of Match.com. It's It's like like a singles parenting group. Yeah, remember about a boy spat single parents alone (laughs) together. This would be adorable if we weren't talking about a serial killer. A hundred Because they meet at parents without partners. It's a dance. Yeah. Fall fiercely in love. And they do. Everyone is saying, like, Judith and the killer loved each other. And the killer, so that's what made him stop killing. Yes. Is that he marries Judith. Yeah. And so, but at one point, the killer is explaining that, like, Judith made him want to stop killing. Yeah. And one of these cops is like, oh, right, that magical Judith. Let's not mock Judith, no. who I assure you has been through enough. Don't give me that tone. Oh, magical Judith. She was. And I'm not mocking Judith. I'm just saying that, like, we're told when they meet, he's 36, she's 41. We see a picture of them, they both look like they're in their late 60s. I know. Like, it, just the 80s were rough on people. There's also, they did a little like, boudoir shoot. <laughs> because when we learn the horrifying fact that like, Judith was sleeping in the same bed where he was committing these horrible crimes, she's like lounging in this like, really sexy like, in, silk nightgown. Like, the timeline is he murdered all these women in that bed and now Judith lives in the house and is sleeping in that fucking bed. Right. So let's cut Judith some slack. Let's cut Judith some slack. He tells the story about waking up in the, in the middle of the night and seeing like, the spirit ghost of one of the women and like wanting to burn the house down. Like, can you imagine? So he wanted to burn the house down, but this, the county didn't. How does that work? Oh. <laughs> there she is, folks. It's right. And you know what? It's not going to end because uh. now we have to talk about Detective Matt. Okay. Yes. Detective Matt joined the task force pretty late in the game. Yes. Everyone told him not to join it. No. Morale was super low. Because they're like, no, it's been two and a half years. We're never going to solve this thing. They're going to shut that down next week and you're going to go back to patrol. And Detective Matt goes, I thought I was going to solve the Green River murders. And that is a huge ego. And yes, I have a huge ego. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like this guy. I kind of like Detective Matt. Come on. What, you don't like him? He ditches the whole task force because of his fucking fragile ego. I he was who I was true. talking about at the top, where I was oh, like, really? sometimes they're serial killers and sometimes they're just dudes. See, I'm telling you, I would fall. I would join a cult. I was he watching this it. thinking, like, I would join Sarah Edmondson's cult. There's no way I wouldn't. But see, do that. it never starts out as a cult. I know. You don't join a cult, you join the MLM. I which have is you, a cult. We were in an Obsessed Fest planning meeting the other day, and I, I was know. like, are we a cult? Did we become a cult by accident? What made you think that? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Just a feeling? Yeah, just a feeling. <laughs> Great. Just like the, so the 20, answer is yes. 2,200 people in one room, like, because we asked them to come there. Are All we looking at you. I know. Yeah. Wait, I can't wait for that. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> you can't wait. Things are going to be different come it's October good. 1st. And... I don't know what that means. I, I just know it's all going to change. Oh, it's going to be so good. As we're getting to the end, we learn about 21-year-old Kimberly Nelson. Her skeletal remains were found on June 14th, 1986. And a woman named Paige is identified as being the last person to see her alive. And Paige has information. She believed that her friend got to a vehicle with a male. And he's driving the maroon truck. The maroon pickup truck kept being described and reported over and over again. Because he's picking up all of his victims in the same place, this maroon truck has been noticed and has been reported a lot of times. Yeah. So they do they take Paige downtown and they like do like a forensic sketch of the guy. And when we see his mugshot, it's kind of dead on. Yeah. Which never happens. Never happens. Remember the egg face from Madeline McCann? That's all I can think about with the bangs. <laughs> egg face and swoop side bangs. 
We also meet Rebecca Gardegue, and uh-huh. she actually escaped this guy. And as far as we know, she's the only person to ever escape the Green River Killer. And she gives another great description. Yeah. So all of the women identify him in two seconds flat. Yeah. I love Rebecca in describing her getting away from him. He had me on the ground. He was on top of me. We were rolling around in the ground. He attempted to strangle her, and she ended up biting him. I picked up my purse, and I ran as fast as I could. I picked up my purse and ran as fast as I could. Fuck yeah. Rebecca's no purse left behind. No. That purse was expensive. She's running at the top of her lungs. With her purse. With her, hell yeah. I, the, the picking up the purse. I love it. I, Rebecca, fuck. I you fucking love You get your things, Rebecca. you get what you need, and you go. And you kick him one more time. Ugh. Right in the face. <laughs> the way they find out that he's like the killer, they start going through the files of like men who've been arrested for like either being Johns or like abusing sex workers. And they come across his photo, the killer's photo, and they compare it to the sketch. And it's like a fucking dead match. Right. At first I was laughing. I said, like, that looks nothing like him. And then I saw them side by side. I was like, oh my God, it's like a photograph. Right. So we got him. We got kind him. Of, <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, don't get too excited. I know, not yet. So it's 1987. <laughs> they get a search warrant for his house and his cars, but they also haul in Judith, his wife, for questioning. Yeah. Judith was working at a daycare. I screamed at the talk about it. Look, as a as a former seven-day-long daycare owner. That number oh gets smaller and smaller <laughs> every time we tell that story. I remember lying to the parents, being like, the building is shutting us down. Yeah. Oh, Fam, of course. I, I wrote the whole chapter in my book. I hope you're excited for my forthcoming memoir, Failure is Not Not an Option, which is what it's really called. Uh, did you make them, like, apply and go through this whole process? No, no. You just we took were... anyone who walked in the door? We had open availability. The parents came in by day two. I hated it so much and we had to shut the thing down by the end of the week but I'm just saying the wife of the most prolific serial killer in American history worked at a daycare oh my god I can't wait to meet either a parent or child of someone who was in your care for two days. Let me tell like, you, you wait. know somebody who came and worked there alongside me. Our f- mutual friend, Daisy Egan, would like come. She was, no yeah, way. she would move back to the city. She was like new in town. Oh, like, I gotta get Daisy. I gotta talk to her about <laughs> her <laughs> perspective on all this. Daisy, she didn't like work there. She's like came and helped me, but she was, the, she witnessed like two of the five days this place was open. Yeah, they'd have some insight that I would really appreciate. <laughs> Hello, oh, Daisy. God, Expect Daisy. a phone call. <laughs> So they get a warrant to search the killer's house and vehicles. And Shailene is back. Oh, because, Shailene. like, I love that Shailene is the neighborhood gossip. Because, like, they're, like, all the... You think she's not talking about this at cocktail parties? Please. <laughs> she's workshopping lines left I, and right. 100%. And she, like, calls another neighbor and they're like... I just remember calling one of my neighbors and saying, what is going on over there? And she was like, I think he's a, he's the Green River Killer. I think it's the Green River Killer. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine? No, I can't. I, I, I mean, absolutely can't. Oh, my God. So DNA wasn't a thing, right? They're looking for the smoking gun and it's hard to get in 1987. And they aren't able to get it because they're looking for souvenirs. They're looking for anything that he would have kept that would have connected him to any of like the 20 victims they had. So like they know what to look for and this guy was fucking meticulous. I don't, the guy's a dummy. He's an idiot but he like somehow didn't have any trace of any of the victims in his homes or vehicles. DNA notwithstanding. Right. And so they don't, I mean I'm going to say his name. It's Gary Ridgway but they don't name him as a suspect. Right. And so like there were cops who actually thought he's definitely not the guy we're attacking this innocent person so detective matt is back and he's like i know this is egotistical he starts every sentence like that he's like but i was the only one who knew it was gary yeah so be 
because he is so sure that it's this Gary Ridgway guy, he throws his hands up and yeah. leaves the task force. Fragile, fragile, fragile. But you know what, though? He was fucking right. But why don't you stay and put in the work and get the guy? You're going to throw a tantrum and leave? I think that, like, wait, I mean, look, I'm not, please don't put me in the position of defending the fragile male ego. <laughs> but, but if like, I'm wrong, no, tell me. No, no, I don't think you're wrong. I just do think that, like, when you come up against, there was no DNA evidence at the time. I guess. Evidence, there was no fingerprints. I guess I'm just going to sit here and bang my head against the wall until science gets better. And then I can just, like, solve other cases, I yeah, guess. Yeah, But I'm not saying you're, you're never wrong. You're Chilean. That's not true. I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> But he leaves the task force. Then Judith now marries the killer. Yeah. Because she believes him too. And so all the neighbors are rallying around Shailene. Shailene and all the neighbors are like, we think he's the Green River killer. And then five minutes later, I guess he's not. Let's do, let's throw him a wedding in Shailene's backyard. And Shailene goes, Judith had this little like ring of flowers around her hair and her hair was blonde and down and, and to sit back and think, oh my gosh, we all, we watched her marry a serial killer. We all sat there and watched Judith marry a serial killer. She I know. says those words. I know. Because I know. that's exactly what you did, Shailene. <laughs> that's exactly it. It's very, yeah. And then we learn, like, this guy's living a double life. Someone calls him brilliant. I refuse to do so. That's the woman who wrote his biography. And she says, you know, this guy squeezed a lot into a day. Breakfast, work, wife, sex with a sex worker, killed a few. I think she just no. tosses it off in I'm this very flippant this. way. I'm not doing it. Brilliant. You save that word I, I, for people who deserve totally. it. Totally. Not fucking serial killers. And he tells us he started killing women again within six weeks of getting married. Loved her so much, she wanted to stop killing. I know, magical Judith. Weeks. Yeah. So they closed the investigation into this guy. By 1990, the Green River Task Force is disbanded. Detective Sue, Detective Faye, everyone's devastated. Yeah. But back in 1982, they took this biological evidence pre-DNA. Like, they were taking all of these things that Detective Matt took. He took DNA from saliva, and he's like, turned out to be pretty important. I had no idea at the time, but just another stroke of genius from old Matty boy. Well, right, because Detective Matt took saliva from the killer during the search warrant right. process. And and I, it's one of those things where you're like, I guess maybe this will be useful someday. Maybe, yeah. You know? But because they also had DNA from the victims, they were able to connect it in 2001. Right, so now science has advanced, obviously. So they submit all of that evidence that they had from the 80s to be tested. Right. And it's, of course, a match for this Gary Ridgway guy. And they arrest him in 2001. And he denies all of it until he sits down for a tell-all interview. Yeah, and we see Judith. Some, like, reporter gets Judith. She calls him a son of a bitch. And the killer's like, oh, I'm sure she's going to be disappointed. Disappointed? I know. She's going to be a little more than disappointed. Yeah, 14 years is a long time to live with somebody who's actively murdering the whole time. Oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. So in 2003, he's convicted of 49 murders more than anyone else. He ranks himself on a scale from 1 to 10 as the best serial killer of all time. Well, they ask him. Yeah. On a scale of killers from 1 to 10, do you think you're one of the best of all time? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being Ted Bundy, where do you put yourself? You think you're one of the greats? And oh, he's like, oh, yeah. Do you think you're, I'm the best, he says. Also, don't rank I, I, these guys. Exactly. Not, they're not, none of them are good. No, right. You can't be the best. No. They're you can't all be the fucking best trash. Right. Yeah, exactly. Don't exactly. ask that. And I know I'm sure they're asking to just get him to say shit. Right. But I still don't like him. And then we learn that because women are here, thank fucking God, yeah. they decide the most important thing actually isn't getting the guy. The most important thing is bringing the victims home and like providing closure for the 
families. Yeah. So they present him with a deal that if he will tell them everything he knows, they won't seek the death penalty. And he'll get life in prison. And right. he's like, absolutely. Because he can't wait right. to go back to these crime scenes again and now tell them in cut. detail. And that's what he does. We see endless footage of him in the car with the cops driving to crime scenes and like finding bodies. And Patty Eeks, one of the women here, is saying he was very polite to the investigative team and he would greet you and he would say, you know, good morning, Miss Eeks. And I would say, oh, hi, Gary. But then I would have to remind myself if given the opportunity, he would, you know, strangle me and have sex with my dead body. Given the opportunity, he'd strangle me and have sex with my dead body. Yeah. Patty. Yeah. Patty. So as it's ending, Detective Matt's like, look, the cops failed. Like, these numbers are too high. Yes. And he should have been stopped a lot earlier, and we just couldn't do it. He pleads to 49 murders, confesses to far more, and there are lots of women out there that he admits to killing that will never be found. Yeah, he received 49 life sentences with no chance of parole. (laughs) First time I really (laughs) smiled. Oh, that makes you so happy. But I'm going to bring it right back down again, because 33 of his victims were teenagers. Yeah. But at the end, all of these families, like, get to get up and give him a fucking piece of their mind Holy in the courtroom shit. and it is so powerful yeah, to yeah. watch these families like be in the same room as him and look him in the face or just say the words in front of him like yes. this is what you did you are a horrible fucking person and we hate you yeah, was- enjoy your 49 <laughs> life sentences bye we're going to Applebee's yeah. <laughs> we're going to do our best to like put our lives back together you yeah. go rot and we're getting a nap sampler <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, girl, we did the hunt for the Green River Killer or whatever. Green River Killer, Mind of a Monster. Yeah, it's a good one. If you don't know about this case and you're interested, go check it out. It's a good documentary. Yeah. Fam, come see us at Obsessed Fest. We just announced it. By the time you hear this, it'll be well known. Oh, yeah. Damien Eccles is coming to Obsessed Fest to see his dear friend Jillian. He's bringing Lori Davis, who has just as much to say as he does. Yeah. You and Damien are doing a West Memphis 3 panel on the main stage with Bob Ruff. You and Lori and Damien are doing a sit-down Q&A with people about their life and surviving trauma, that whole thing. I also think some of the fun things we're doing, I think Family Feud might be involved. Yeah, so apparently you and Damien are going to be on the same Family Feud team on the main stage. Oh my God. And I am going to convince him to come to this Taylor Swift sing-along. Oh my God! He keeps telling me he's not doing it and Lori's like, you go, you'll be nice. <laughs> so we're, I, I don't know, but he might be in the back just like loving it. It's going to be great. The other people <laughs> coming, it's you and me, Ellen and Joey, Daisy Egan, Amber Hunt, Maggie Freeling, Tim and Lance, Generation Y guys, Payne Lindsay, Rebecca and Kevin from Crime Writers oh On. Oh my God, so many people. Who, oh, the ladies from Let's Go to Court, the ladies from Red Handed, That's Hannah right. and Ruthie. They're, Hannah and Ruthie from Red Handed are like premiering. They're doing like a dress rehearsal of their live show oh, that they're fun. taking on their European tour fun. right after. That's all daytime programming. You get a festival pass, you get to see all of that, plus the meet and greets and the book signings. All of that is in that package. The live shows are at night. ObsessedFest.com. Get your tickets. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. I'm so psyched. Join us on Patreon. 350 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge. Yeah. Girl, what are we doing next? Oh, are you ready? Yeah. White Hot the rise and fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Yes, I'm so excited about <laughs> I know. this. Well, just focus on okay. the crimes. Okay. Because <laughs> I know the whole I'm, Abercrombie look was very to I your liking. I should probably give myself a little extra time to watch. I, just I think feel you like... should. I know you wake up early, but right. if you could, because I need you to focus. Okay. There's a lot of right, racism yeah. and stuff. All right, you got to okay. focus on that. All right, fine. Stay tuned for the trailer for that, our funny and hilarious outtakes. And that's it. We love you, fam. We love you so much. Yeah. We'll see you next week. All right, bye. Bye. There's a reason people liked that brand. Exclusion is part of our society. They were also firing people on the basis of their looks. Abercrombie said it wasn't that we were being racially discriminated against. It was that we weren't good looking enough. 
They literally made so much money. Exclusion was the root of their success. They had a no headscarf policy. Abercrombie went all the way to the Supreme Court. All American doesn't mean all white. Abercrombie knew that they had a lot to hide. We have some really troubling behavior. The story was an indictment of where our culture was. They didn't invent evil. They didn't invent class. They just packaged it. When you work for Zillow and you're listing a house in Wasteland, Washington. Yeah. You think you're going to have an easy time selling that? You find the next town yeah. and then you say that this house is that town adjacent. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> right on the outskirts <laughs> of Tacoma <laughs> or somewhere else. Seven miles from the airport. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely. exactly it. Yeah, his, also his name is Galen, which I don't think went great for him in high school. Because kids are the fucking worst. I know. Kids are so mean. But also, why would your parents, like, that's a beautiful name, but you're going to name your kid Galen in, like, 1950s yeah. Seattle? Not a good idea. Kids, knock it off. Yeah, totally. Now to the parents. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't set be, your kids up for success. Yeah, don't be so selfish when you're naming <laughs> right. your kid, because remember them on the schoolyard. I know. Remember them growing up. Like, yeah. Please just keep in mind that they have to live with that name forever when they're like 13, especially. Each and every time with Steve is special. It's special. Never experienced that in my life. And it changes my life. <laughs> I cry a little after, but like out of a, like I'm, because I love him you're so much. Seeing so many rainbows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which only that only happens to gays. I don't know if you know that or not. We get the rainbows. Okay, that's why I see the. Okay, I got it. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh. Uh. Tom. Oh my God, my brain just. Died. I saw it in your I face. Know. It looked like it looked like you were a computer I and know. everything just reset. I saw I was like, he's not here right now. What's going on? 